Hello and welcome to Build Back Better, a series of online conversations from For the Region about the future of South West Wales. Hello and welcome back to Build Back Better. I'm Dawn Lyle and today I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Jonathan Burns. Now, Jonathan has recently been appointed as the new programme director for the Swansea Bay City Deal. I think he started the position back in March, just before lockdown. Dr. Jonathan Burns has held senior positions at Swansea University over the last 12 years in lots of different roles. Now he is in charge of delivering the exciting City Deal projects that make up this massive regional investment. We've been talking about it for years and seeing it progress gradually through the processes of approvals and everything else. So we thought it was time for all of us to get a bit of an update on what's been happening at City Deal and to get to know Jonathan in his new role and an opportunity for all of us to hear what Jonathan all about and what his priorities are. So thank you Jonathan for joining us and welcome, welcome to Build Back Better. Thank you, excellent. So you started the role in March, I'm right about that aren't I? Strange yeah so literally the role. 2nd of March and as you said probably just over two weeks prior to Covid kicking off so uh, interesting times but things are now settled and, and we're doing really good stuff and, and progressing quite well now. Yeah great, how do you see your role as programme director? It's the new, new office um, that you're a establishing for City Deal and what's been the focus of your work over the last couple of months? Quite a lot of the focus has been more around the governance assurance process and, and also with project approvals. So when we had the external review last year on the City Deal there were a number of recommendations that we had to put in place. Some of those had already been progressed prior to me coming into post and then some hadn't. So all the things that you would expect for projects and programs and portfolios things around risk management, benefits realisation, monitor and evaluation, all those exciting governance things that have to be put into place. So we're now pretty much on top of all of those and we're in the process of finalising our business case for the whole portfolio, which covers nine projects within that. So the other part then is around the approvals. So we have a number of projects that are live. So there's three of the nine. We're also going through the approval process now for a few more, which are currently in place, and then a few which will happen over the coming months. And Councillor Rob Stewart, who's the chair of our joint committee, would like to get all of the projects into Welsh Government for ministerial approval by Christmas this year. So it's quite ambitious, but I think we can get there. What excites you about City Deal? Why did you want the job? What are you looking forward to? Tell us a bit about your approach, your values and priorities as the new leader of the programme? So I, I wanted a challenge. So I've, I've certainly got one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, City Deal, City Deal is, is a, a wonderful portfolio of projects. The biggest thing about it is that it will make a difference. Even if we achieved a fraction of what we said we're going to do, I believe we can achieve it all and surpass it. But if we can even achieve a fraction of it in terms of creating jobs, getting inward investment, energising businesses either to grow or start up and also trying to get some anchor companies like S4C and, and various other ones in the region. I think that will help support both economically but also there's all the added benefits beyond the economic side of things. So all things around prosperity in terms of health and well-being, equality, uh, us being resilient, prosperous, all of these link to what we call the Future Generations Act in Wales. And I think that City Deal is front and centre to that. Making a difference is, is what I want to do. So that, that's really good. In terms of principles, probably a lot. I am a principled kind of guy. So a lot of what I like doing is around dialogue. 
So in terms of principles of being open, transparent, listening to views of people and organisations such as for the region and making sure that we do things in a consultative way because just because I might think this is a good way to do something, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the case. So working with all different types of stakeholders, engaging that communication, getting feedback, making sure that we're on track and that we've considered other perspectives, I think is really important. The other part then is kind of linked with that is around regional working. So the whole essence of City Deal is it's a regional program. So we need to make sure that we secure the existing opportunities that we've identified, but also there'll be loads of spin-offs. And, and some of the things that people talk about are around the circular economy, supply chains, and further inward investment. You know, every single city deal project, okay, that gets funding for a certain thing, but most of them are part of something bigger. And it's how we capitalize on those things, but utilize the money that we get for city deal as much as we can as a catalyst, as a platform, as whatever you call it, for making sure that we have that regional working and people are working together. And then the last, I guess, principle that I really enjoy working towards because uh, it's very important is, is being evidence-based. So if I am responding to the needs as programme director, to government needs, business needs, the people of Wales, whatever those needs are, that evidence is really important. And some of it's done through stats and numbers and through economic figures. Others then are through people's opinions and having that evidence of, are we going the right direction? Are we responding to the needs and wants of all the different stakeholders is really important to me. So I guess it's those three, dialogue, regional working and evidence-based. Great. Yeah. I mean, as you know, for the region, we're just really passionate about City Deal being a, a project that we all do together as a region and, and for the, the long term economic, environmental and sort of social benefits of everyone who lives and works in Southwest mm -hmm. Wales. So we certainly welcome that approach. And I think as the projects start to come live now and move forward, that approach you know, good dialogue, good business engagement and partnership working right across the region is just going to be so important to the success of the project. Yeah. So when we spoke, Dawn, uh, quite a few weeks ago now, that's how it resonated with me with for the region. You know, the, the essence of what you're trying to do is really important. But you, you mentioned partnership working. For me, it's that stress in the two-way communication. You know, we will do everything we can and we're not doing enough. We need to do more engagement. We need to do more dialogue, all those different things. So I'm not going to sit here and say everything's perfect by a long shot, but we need that kind of engagement as a two-way thing and that partnership working so that we can make sure that we are communicating in the effective way that people want to receive information and that it's done in a timely way and that people can get engaged and understand what progress is being made. So, so it's important two-way. Yeah, absolutely. So we think about City Deal as being 11 projects, but I know that there has been some reworking and reprioritizing. So I wondered whether now would be a good opportunity for you to give us an update. Um, what are the current projects and the status of those? There were 11 projects and until last year, that is exactly it. You probably find on various web outlets and, and websites. That is probably still the case. We will get all those updated to make sure that it's current. We've just gone through a kind of change control around our business case. So we now have nine projects. The headline figures about what we're trying to achieve and the targets that are set remain the same. So we are a city deal. It's helping accelerate regional economic recovery. And particularly around COVID now, it's heightened its need even more. We have a £1.3 billion investment programme that will hopefully be worth at least 1.8 billion to the region. 
and also generate 9,000 highly skilled new jobs. The kind of areas that we focus on, they haven't changed. So they're all the things that you would expect around life sciences, digital connectivity, energy, economic acceleration. And we will continue to focus on those areas. And we want to try and be that catalyst, if you like, as I said earlier on about how do we benefit the residents? How do we make sure that businesses in the region and the communities, both urban and rural, benefit from, from some of these projects? And I'll, I'll go through the nine projects in a second. So there are nine projects. They're all at different stages. There are three that are currently live. So I'll go through those three first, uh, first of all, because people probably have seen some things associated with these in the, the press and physical. So Swansea City Waterfront Digital District, so the arena that I'm sure everybody has seen or seen pictures of at least, that has been procured. The steelwork is up. That will hopefully be open next year in 2021. There's two other parts to the whole development around the Waterfront Digital District, and that's on the Kingsway. So there's a digital village up on the Kingsway that is now currently out for initiation to tender. So ITT. And then the third part is around the Box Village, which involves Trinity, St. David's University, and that's an innovation precinct. And that is in development at the moment, and further updates should come out in September for that. But that kind of accumulation of those three projects is part of a wider city centre development. And again, if you talk about digital connectivity within the city centre, that will also form part of it, as you would expect for the things like the digital square and the arena. So that's uh, the waterfront. Yes, it's exciting to see steel work up, as you've said, and some of us who haven't been into the city centre recently, it's quite a surprise when you drive past and they've been able to keep working on site with social distancing in place. It's been amazing to see that rising up out of the ground. Yeah, and, and since I've been in post, you know, that, that's one of the things that is, is from a dramatical change type thing, that's one of the key things physically I've seen since being in post that has evolved. So that, that's great to see. The next one is around Oregon, and that is a creative digital cluster. So they've completed their phase one of it, and they're going to work towards their phase two later this summer, going into the autumn. But with the phase one, that hosts S4C, and it also has 17 other full-time based companies within that infrastructure that's been built. So a lot of these smaller companies combined with the S4C that has already directly created 100 employed people working within the digital and creative sectors based at Oregon and Carmarthen. So it's also become recently an enterprise hub. So that enterprise hub has seen the incubation of two new startups. And it also links a lot with the university students as well. So on the last count, which was probably about a month ago, they had had 440 student interactions and engagements with the residents based down in Oregon. So that's fantastic. And that's going great. And we look forward to seeing phase two and the development of that. So that, that's the second project, which is live. So the third one is around, again, a lot of media and very good media coverage on it. Pembroke Dock Marine. So the ministers announced that I just looked at the date last month. So in June, this is all around focusing on marine energy. There are things that already exist down in the Port Authority and Pembroke Dock, but this is to expand and develop further things and look at how we support companies, particularly around developing, designing, testing and building devices. The whole project then is made up of four pillars. And those four pillars are all about commercializing marine energy technology. I'll briefly just say that the headlines of the four areas, just in case anybody has any interest in that. But one is around the Pembroke Dock infrastructure. The second one then is around a center of excellence for marine energy. The third one is around a test area for marine energy. And then the fourth one is about a demonstration zone. So those four things combined 
again, will transform the, the dock area. A lot of the companies already involved and the key stakeholders, the anchor companies, if you like, they're already bought into this. It's very commercially driven, but it has huge potential and loads of other things that could capitalise on it around that kind of region for energy. Renewable energy is a key growth sector that our region is so well placed to capitalise on. We, we say it all the time, don't we? We have all the weather and uh, all the coastline and the natural assets here. It's great if we can really boost that sector, become the renewable energy region. Region. And, and as you rightly point out, there's already so much of the energy sector in Milford Haven and Pembroke Dock. It's a real strength sector. So uh, yes. it'll be great to see how that evolves and, and commercialising some of the R&D that goes on in the region to really build jobs and build up that industry as a way of decarbonising our economy and society going forward. Exactly. So it has multiple benefits, you know, the direct economic ones, but the decarbonisation as the example that you give. The thing with Pembroke Dock Marine and the wider Pembroke developments around energy is that we're not the only ones trying to capitalise on this. You know, there, there are multiple areas across the UK and Europe and, and further afield, and, and we do need to try and do this as quickly as we can. And again, when we talk about this in relation to economic recovery, renewables and the whole green sector that that has been signposted as one of the areas for focus so again this within the city deal scope and beyond that the the opportunities that i talked about earlier on is making sure that we capitalize on those and, and support the people in the region to try and get those moving so that that's the third project that has gone through approval so that they, they are live effectively then i'll touch on the two that are going through an approval process at the moment so Holmes's power stations is the first one and again you might have seen a lot with the media coverage on that this is all about delivering smart low carbon energy efficient homes again link into the essence of what pembroke dock marine is but a different focus and that is the whole point of this one is that this is a truly regional coordinated approach for the swansea bay city region so all local authorities will be part of this. And the project is there to look at how we develop new build developments, how we retrofit existing buildings, and also look at the supply chain development support for smart, low carbon energy efficient homes. If this project is successful, it could absolutely grow very quickly and also attract very high skilled jobs. And not only that, we could be a kind of center of excellence for this, that we could then export outside of the region. So the aim of the project, we're going to look at how we monitor health and well-being aspects as well with warmer homes, reduction in fuel poverty. And again, it goes back to the act to make sure that how and what we do is not just about economic regeneration. It's about people and the well-being and wellness of them as well. So that's Homes as Power Stations. That's currently gone through an external review. We call them stage gate reviews. The review came out really well. So we will amend the business case, get it to Welsh Government as soon as we can, and hopefully get some movement on uh, an approval for that. There are some interesting projects already underway, aren't there? I know Pobble yeah. Housing Group and Coastal Housing are, are doing a number of pilot schemes with Swansea yeah. Council and others at the moment. And I wonder with that one whether there's opportunity for more private sector engagement as well because I think Welsh Government are looking at how to tighten up the regulations around building zero carbon homes yeah. and obviously a lot of private sector engagement around that but Wales has the potential to lead the way with tighter legislation but we must bring private sector developers with us on this journey and I think there are a lot of 
building companies out there that really want to get stuck into building low carbon homes in sustainable ways, timber frame pre-construction. Are there ways that private companies can get engaged with this project at the moment or is it not at that stage? So the the three aspects, if you like, the new builds that will predominantly be through private sector. So yes, there are routes to do that. We are in the process of establishing a team because there is no, there are people who are working on a business case development, not the delivery aspect of it because it's not been approved. We will get a team in place and we will have engagements with private sectors, the kind of landlord type approach as well. You mentioned Poland Coastal, they're part of this. But the other part, which is really important as well, is how this project can influence policy. So you kind of touched on it by talking about private sector. From what I gather, I'm not an expert in this field, but I've heard enough about it. It's as if it's quite disjointed currently how things are delivered and funded. We hope that this Homes as Power Stations project can at least influence Welsh Government, if not UK Government, in, in a better way to do things in a coordinated manner. The pilots that you refer to, this will extend those pilots. So I know things have already happened. This will be an extension to that and further pilots. And then if we have a model that works, we can then roll that model out, create those supply chains. We have to engage with the private sector. The, the problem always will always be about this is that it will cost more to build homes with this type of technology in it. Who pays for that? It's effectively the home buyer. Do I, if I was a home buyer and I wanted to buy a house, would I be willing to spend an extra 20 to 30,000 pounds to have this technology in a new build? I'm not sure. I'd, I'd want to know what I get for it but I might not get return until I'm 70. <laughs> so, so this pilot can also look at how we reduce the costs per square meter of these technologies put in the home, if there's more efficient technologies, etc. And it's the combining of those because it's all well and good retrofit in a home if the resident doesn't know how to use those technologies and the integration of them, then it may not actually achieve what it's set out to do. So there's a lot of social aspects to these projects as well to make sure that the user, the the resident, understands the technology and and what to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. The other one that is in the kind of pipeline of external review is supporting innovation and low-carbon growth. This is all around having a business technology centre, so it's called the Swansea Bay Technology Centre, based in Neathcote Talbot, but also bringing in other things around the National Steel Innovation Centre. So whenever people talk about that, they always go, well, that's Tata Steel. Well, it's broader than that. So this is about an open innovation centre. Tata Steel is obviously a, a local steel industry company, but there's lots of other companies around, again, through supply chains and various other things. So it's about that open innovation centre, looking at National Steel. And again, with COVID, I would imagine steel as a kind of manufacturing side of things, from a government, from multiple perspectives, that is probably quite important that we continue because we have done a lot to protect our steel industry and make sure that we grow that if we can. And again, it's about the high level skilled jobs around that. So there's, there's various people like Dave Worsley in Swansea University working hard at trying to make sure that the business case is updated to, to reflect the needs and the wants around steel innovation. And then there's a series of things like decarbonisation projects. the quality of air, electric cars, all that sort of stuff. And that's all kind of housed within a a program of activity. So that, again, that went through an external stage gate review. Further developments of the business case are being incorporated into that business case. They hopefully within the next couple of months will be complete. And that, again, can go to Welsh Government for for ministerial approval. There's four further projects 
The other four are in regional development. For every project that we do, the ones that I've already mentioned and the ones now the four, every project has to have a business case. And that business case has to have what we call a line to the green book. And they have a strategic case, they have an economic case, a financial case, commercial, and a management case. And all of those have to get over the line to make sure that we're doing the right things in the right way. That's effectively what we've got to do. So the, the four remaining ones then are digital infrastructure. So there are three strands to that, connected cities, rural connectivity, and next generation wireless. But if I wanted to put that in its most simplistic terms, it's making sure that as many people get good connectivity and the fastest connectivity that they can, whether it's residents or businesses or anything else. That, that's the whole point of that digital infrastructure. It's more important than ever now, isn't it? And the it light has well and truly been shone on the importance of good internet connections for people to work remotely and access it's services. Good. It's a real spotlight. There are some great examples around the UK, actually, of where rural communities have come together to get broadband into their village. Yep. And it'd be great to sort of pursue those sorts of solutions across our region and really empower communities to say this is the sort of connectivity we want and what are the other ways that we can make that happen so as you say a key priority oh it is and i agree that there are loads of good examples of where businesses and community groups have achieved that despite the lack of infrastructure investment for digital and i know the governments both governments are trying to do their best and do it as quickly as they can but this will hopefully accelerate that, at least bring in full fibre to the region, across the region, and also things like 5G and various other technologies to make sure that we kind of maximise what people can access when it comes to a community group or, or business or whatever it might be. But the other one then that I'll touch on is skills and talent. Again, from a, a COVID recovery perspective, this is vitally important. It's always been important for our region. We have gaps in skills. We need to increase both our productivity so in other words getting people into jobs but we also need to increase our gross value added which means people into high level paid and skilled jobs so the skills and talent program that will help with that is probably the least developed business case but what we wanted to do was make sure we knew what the projects were for the region and then we can start aligning both the providers or potential providers with the skills gaps for the region. So we know what those are and with the projects that are being established. And some projects will have skills and talent initiatives within them, but this will support those to build on it and others won't have any at all. So we need to make sure that we have good alignment for those. So we'll be accelerating that development of that business case now over coming months. We hosted a round table about skills and future jobs with the Regional Learning and Skills Partnership yeah. and Swansea University and Gower College and others just earlier this week. And there's a real appetite for the creation of a sort of task force to really look at the COVID response and the impact of COVID on young people's careers, on everybody's careers. And also, as you say, identifying what are the future jobs that are going to be coming into the region as a result of the City Deal investments and other projects really identifying what those are and a, you know a great lot of work needs to be done to yeah. ensure that young people across our region are aware of the opportunities and are setting their sights and that's a key message isn't it that there are new, yeah. new industries growing and there is opportunity here we want people from across South West Wales to find good and fulfilling work here yeah. on our doorsteps don't we? and again I, I call it there's a kind of hybrid isn't it we have to respond to the need and wants of businesses and, and governments and wherever else that are current today so what exists but if we only do that all we're doing is stirring the pot 
what we need to do is, is as you described, it's, it's what are the new opportunities? Where can we go with this? What high level skills can we create as a consequence of some infrastructure that we put in place and we attract inward investment through businesses and public funds and wherever it might be? And it's making sure that we do the kind of both so that both have a, a good chance. And then it's the other part, I guess, is about where people come into the skills spectrum. You know, do they come in? My son is in primary school at the moment. He's six. He's not even thinking about jobs. He's probably playing Roblox or whatever he's doing. But he will be one of these potential workers in the future for our region. So if primary school children are inspired and secondary school and, and colleges and universities, and they know that there's opportunities in the region for them, how do they get on that kind of scale of, of skills? Flipping it then to a totally different aspect in terms of adults. Somebody may want to retrain but they may not know what they want to do or whether they're eligible or whether they're capable or all those different things. We need to make as many easy routes for them to jump in and jump off on that skill spectrum and help them achieve as well. Because COVID will change the landscape. It will change the way that we do things. It will change the priorities that we have across all different sectors and how we re retrain people is going to be vitally important. So that, that's a really, the digital and skills, again, fully regional across all different aspects of things, very important around COVID recovery. All of these are important around COVID recovery. The last two, the Life Sciences Wellbeing Campuses project. That is through a Swansea Council led by Swansea University. It links with Morriston and Singleton Hospitals. It's, the whole essence of it is to create a kind of digital health platform in technologies, clinical innovation, and that is to effectively prevent ill health, it can develop better treatments and improve patient care. So with those three things in mind, what the project is trying to achieve is a facility. So an advanced research and development facility linking the university and the students and the academics with businesses based around the success of the Institute for Life Sciences on Singleton campus, but looking at how they create a wellbeing academy and sports and exercise science remit to that. And that would be based on Singleton. The other part then is around refurbishment of an existing building with potential for the expansion of a science park in on the Morriston site. They would be part of that around the more clinical innovation around that science and technology centre up in Morriston. I keep on relating to COVID. It wouldn't matter if this was COVID or not. These are priorities for our region. They're priorities nationally, but because of COVID, I think it heightens the need for a lot of these things. Yes, I agree. It's all the more in the spotlight through COVID. And I was talking to a friend of mine who works in Singleton Hospital, and she was talking about the importance of having centres of excellence around particular expertise within healthcare and the medical profession, because centres of excellence really attract the right skills and, and people to want to come and work in those centres of excellence, where without those regions like South West Wales can struggle to recruit um, the top level consultants and the research and the, the advanced skills. And so I suppose investment in centres of excellence across all these aspects of healthcare and social care will really ensure that this region has access to the right levels of medical care going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, from an innovation perspective, from a business perspective, there's a thing called triple helix and it's all about government businesses and universities or education coming together and co-creation and also co-location and it's been proven to work multiple times over across the globe really so that this is the whole essence of this is based on that the last project is around the life sciences wellbeing village down in delta lakes and Flanetley. 
the same essence as what we just talked about in the campuses project but this is about creating or providing capital infrastructure again around a, a community health hub and within that health hub there'll be business incubation and development capacity there'll be stuff around clinical delivery and that's the the actual delivery of it but also the research around it and then a well-being skills center so that would involve universities or colleges looking at how we train and support nurses, doctors, all the like. And all of this stuff would be part of a broader £200 million investment down in that region, down in that area, where Carmarthenshire Council have committed to put in their leisure centre there. There would be potential for a hotel, homes, residential care, all sorts of things in a whole, not far off self-contained village, if you like, down in Clenetley. So again, a very exciting development, both for the city deal part of it, but also the wider perspective as well. And that project has been redesigned and re-engineered really, hasn't it? Arising out of all the reviews that we had a year and a half, two years ago. And it sounds like there are those two health and life sciences campus sort of projects in bringing Singleton and Morrison into that equation and the Delta Lake site. So a a holistic picture around all that. Yeah, there'll be synergies between the projects, but they'll have their defined areas as well so but there, there are definite synergies there and again is is creating that center of excellence in a broader regional perspective and then when you link it to all the other potential things that are going on in the region around health and the health boards and potential for new hospitals and all sorts of things like that it just adds and adds and adds and it creates us that center of excellence that we we need but going back to the uh, recently my my project management office has reviewed the life sciences wellbeing village business case and i, I must say it has been redeveloped everything is now uh, clean the decks type thing and it's i would say one of the most robust business cases we have so hopefully that will go through now an external review and then subject to that then go into regional approval and ministerial approval for funding later this year it must have been a frustration, I suppose, for everyone involved in City Deal. This very long approvals process, business cases, approval by two different governments, uh, well, by the Joint Committee in our region, then by the Welsh Government, then by the UK Government. Has it been a, a sort of long, painful process? Do you feel like the wheels are yeah. turning properly now? The wheels are turning. <laughs> are they properly turning? They, they, they get in there. So the whole point of these approval processes is to make sure that things are robust and that we we develop and deliver something that's successful. So it's there for a reason. So, and I get that in principle. What we want to do, some of these business cases I've just talked about now have been in development since 2017. So are there frustrations in aspects? There are, but some of these business cases genuinely take that long because they are complex, they are big, they they require buy-in and and all different things and uh, economic analysis, all all those different things that you would expect in a business case. There are frustrations, people want them now, people want to get into delivery, but we need to make sure that we do the right things and set them up in the right way, otherwise the delivery could have a a less impactful delivery if we, we weren't doing that. That said, just to give you a flavour for it, until it gets to Welsh Government for approval, I've created what we call a 14-point approval process. That's based on what was created before. It sounds horrendous. 14 points is like blinking heck, but it's not that bad. When, when you boil it down into its basic components, it has to go through things like my PMO to make sure that it's checks and balances and things are in place before it goes to what we got the Economic Strategy Board, which is our advisory capacity uh, for businesses. So they kind of do a SWOT analysis on them. Those two processes will improve the regional feedback or improve 
the business case based on regional feedback. And then once it goes from there, it has to go through our governance processes for city deal. It has to go through the host local authority approval process because they're effectively carrying the risk. And then once all that's done, then it goes over to Welsh government. So it sounds really long and drawn out, but there are good reasons why we do this. And again, it comes back to that point I said about the principles is that there are different perspectives and having things like the Economic Strategy Board critiquing these things will give us a different perspective. And, and it will improve what we have. I almost guarantee it. I would continue doing that. We want to do it as quickly as we can. But, you know, this process could take months of approvals. But it is what it is. We have to do it. It's governance. And, yeah, hopefully we'll get successful projects at the end of it. Yeah, hopefully a better outcome for all of that at the end of it. I yeah. mean, you, you talk about the Economic Strategy Board. And I think, as you say, that's that's an interesting and important perspective on all of this. I know that the Economic Strategy Board in, includes business leaders and representatives from industry from across the region. And they're involved in the, that approvals process, as you've said. And do you think that it, once a project has been approved at all levels of government and is then a live project, is that the appropriate time then for a wider and more diverse group of people, communities, businesses to help shape the delivery? Or, or where do you see the role for that sort of greater engagement different stakeholders at different stages so people should be made all or everyone should be made aware of as to what we are doing and the intent at, at a minimum i think like i said about digital connectivity and, and all the stuff around the rural city all that stuff people should be aware that's our intent that's our direction of travel and they should be able to engage with that through the development process it may not change the umbrella that the high level thinking of it because that, that that's kind of evidence-based and that's done through economic appraisals and various other things like that. So all that is fed in. But whether it's government bodies, community groups, whether it's providers, there should be access routes for those through the development and the business case development stage so that they're aware of what's coming up. Because again, when it comes to the what they call the full business case, which then goes to procurement, at least people are aware of, of where we are. The whole process of that, again, through tendering process, that will be in the public domain. Anybody who wants to, from a business perspective, can respond to that. They would be looking for those things anyway. But when, when it's in development stages, there's limited things that could happen because obviously you don't want to break any rules or do anything wrong or delay anything unnecessarily so that there is a precautionary point to make there. But when, once it's in delivery, absolutely, you know, from a community engagement, just raising awareness from a business engagement, we should embrace as much of that as we can. But bearing in mind that some of these projects could have literally hundreds of companies involved using networks like yourself, Dawn, to, to try and coordinate those things. If it's briefings that we need to give to a wide group of audience, we might not be able to give a briefing to every company individually, but through networks, we can do that. So we want to utilize networks as much as we can, particularly in the delivery stage. But it's all about doing it in a timely way so that people can respond to things and people are aware of things. But again, having a, a two-way dialogue to figure out when that would be would probably be really helpful particularly at the project level when you talk about the portfolio the whole nine projects and, and within the portfolio that would be quite difficult because everything would happen at different times but if there are construction type things we can put a construction lens on the portfolio if there's a digital lens or skills lens or whatever it might be we can look at it from those different angles but yeah sometimes companies would only want to engage with a particular thing within a particular project so they should have access to that 
And I think as teams are recruited into the delivery offices for each of these projects, you know, the right people will be there to be involved in, in the sorts of conversations that we're hosting around skills, around circular economy and points of contact really for businesses and communities to get in touch with. So I think that will help it to come to life. And as you say, City Deal is designed as a, as a catalyst really across all these sectors and across the economy and society. And it, you know, for it to fulfill that role of, of being a catalyst for lots more things happening, you rightly point out that networks and collaboration is, is key to that. You touched on tendering and procurement there in something that you said. And obviously that's a, a key topic for us all to be thinking about in this region. And we know there's been a lot of work by Welsh Government and the local authorities around what's called the foundational economy, making sure that we have successful, thriving businesses within local economies and that the wealth is spent within the region, that we're not losing a lot of wealth by outsourcing too much of what we could do ourselves. And obviously, I know there are constraints to that and, and probably gaps that need to be plugged. Where does the City Deal Office sit in that, in terms of making sure that when it comes to procurement of goods and services under City Deal contracts, that there's a real emphasis on the opportunities for local and regional firms? It is important. In fact, it's very, very important for multiple reasons. I'll cover some of those. What you'll find is City Deal is predominantly the delivery of it is public sector led. So by nature, we're bound by things around public contracts regulations. That was 2015. There's also the procurement policy statement in 2015 too. So, so we are governed and controlled by those regulations. So that's an important point to make. That aside, sometimes, not all the time, some of these contracts are quite complex. They're quite big. And they might be requiring a kind of umbrella organization like what happened in the arena with Buckingham's. But there will be routes if that happens for subcontracts. So again, there will be routes regardless of, of how and what happens through that procurement process. But what happens is that the, the procurement teams, all the stuff around the regulations, we want to make sure that we maximize the benefit for the public pound, if you like, the value for money type thing. We want to make sure that we use as much locally that we can. And one of the things around the, the procurement process is making sure that we do that in a timely way so that people are aware of what is coming to market. And that comes back to the point that we just talked about in the, the previous uh, question is that making sure that people are aware of what happens, that we're using open frameworks, that people know that there's a, t a tendering request out there. And an example of that happened with the Digital Village on a waterfront project with Swansea Council. So Buckingham's had things like business engagement events to make sure that they knew what was the kind of work lists, if you like, and then they could respond to those subcontracts. And we had, a, we, I think we had hundreds of, of companies come into those events. And that's worked really well because there's a lot of companies now who are subcontracting with Buckingham to do the work around the, the digital district and the arena and stuff like that. And will the city deal or the council be holding Buckingham to account on that and, and reporting on the outcomes? How many of the tier two subcontractors are, are local and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a good question because they haven't reported on it publicly that I'm aware of. I, I'd have to go back to them and ask them on that. But, you know, there, there are things in there which are commercially sensitive in some aspects. So what they can report on, we, we have to be careful but what we can report on, as I said before, we want to be transparent and, and things like that. So we'll make every effort that we can 
to demonstrate the worth. I know we talked previously, Dawn, about how Swansea University did some statistics and some infographics around how and what was procured for the Bay Campus. Um, so that's a good uh, process to follow so we can have a look at how and what we do for that. And we could do it by project, um, project basis or by portfolio. Yeah, because I think there's still time, isn't there, to learn from what's worked and what hasn't worked around some yes. of the earlier projects, like you say, Oregon, the arena, look at what, what has been successful in terms of business engagement and then what we can learn. And there's still time, isn't there, on the oh, future projects. Yes. do better yeah yes. even with oregon as an example that's done phase one there, there will be what they call another stage gate review called a stage gate five i'm not going to get caught in the the, the kind of <laughs> minutiae of the thing but that will be a lessons learned process and we can that is a very good point you made and we can feed that into how was it procured how was it engaged with local suppliers etc so we, we can put that into that stage gate review so thank you for that there are lots, lots of other things that we can do my office can look at how we engage with stakeholders to look across projects. So it's not just about within each project and procuring, it could be a collaborative effort because whether it's a timing or there's synergy in terms of uh, what we're trying to do, we can look at those. That hasn't happened to date, but only because of timing in terms of approvals, existing projects running, uh, the PMO being set up, et cetera, but, but we will uh, continue to do that and what we have centrally is a procurement principles document the way i describe it is that there's guides and regulations at a kind of welsh and UK government level there's the local authorities adhere to that and where they're kind of sandwiched filling in the middle where we're making sure that the procurement principles at a regional level are understood and that we are adhering to those but it doesn't change anything from the two slices of bread with a sandwich filling but we're just making sure that Everybody understands that there is an alignment and a link between the national and local procurement principles. I wonder whether there's an opportunity for really looking at the skills and knowledge sharing among procurement officers within these public organisations across the region. Because anecdotal feedback that we've had suggests that there is a lot that individuals can learn from each other from other local authorities that have perhaps done something exemplary sharing best practice because it's it's as much about you know i appreciate what you've said about meet the buyer events and business engagement from the tier one contractors and of course we'd love to see more tier one contractors in this region or be working towards that over the yeah. over the coming years but it's also about how tenders are written i'm sure you know this but breaking them down into manageable sizes of lot and and specifying things in a certain way that doesn't preclude regional firms from bidding and there's a lot of sort of skills and experience that is in there we have that knowledge across our local authorities and housing associations are, are very good at this as well in some examples so i wonder whether city deal has some resource to support that sort of really looking at procurement skills and methodologies across the region that might sit very comfortably, as you say, between what Welsh Government is doing and what the local authorities are doing themselves. Yeah, I, I think that's something we can commit to. I, I think that, again, working with businesses and being that conduit, if you like, between the skilled people within the local authorities and, and having facilitated sessions and conversations, lessons learned type thing, I think that would be a worthwhile thing to explore. So I, I yeah. definitely take that forward. So, Jonathan, you're recruiting at the moment, I think, for the new programme office for City Deal. And I noticed you've got some vacancies advertised at the moment. You're building up your team, I suppose, to take all this forward. Yeah, that's right, Dawn. So we, we've got some existing members of staff in the team. So obviously I was appointed in, in March, but 
prior to me starting, I've got three other people working with me in the, the PMO. So there's Greg, who deals with all the comms and engagement type stuff. Peter, who works on the business engagement. And then Richard, who works on the, the finances. So in addition to that, we're appointing or will be appointing four new posts. One will look at the operations management of the more governance and assurance that I referred to earlier on. And then two people work into that PMO manager, making sure that all the right information at the right time and at a right quality is shared amongst all stakeholders. So that's that those three posts. And then the other one, which is quite an exciting role in that it will look at the existing projects and how we build business cases, strategies and policies all around those things and articulate them. So working with all the different stakeholders to get stuff written down and then supporting the project teams then to make sure that we set them up for success, but also potential future opportunities within the region and taking advantage of those and creating again strategies or business cases or whatever it might be. So it's a long-winded uh, way of saying this is effectively a business case writer or a strategy writer, but really important, particularly at a regional level, to make sure that we articulate what our wants are in the kind of documentation that we need to submit for funding approvals for for our various sponsors, etc. Yeah, so I think it's a really big step forward for us to be having the establishment of a project program management office and a dedicated team to drive all of this forward so I think we can look on that as a real positive step for City Deal and its long and arduous journey. We've certainly welcome everything you've said about working in dialogue, building relationships and engaging with communities and businesses across the region and no pressure Jonathan but the hopes of the region are on your shoulders. Do you feel daunted by the challenge or are you excited? I, I like, pre I, I think I'm wired incorrectly. I quite like pressure. I work better under pressure, but you know, there, there is lots to do. But as I said, if, if it was a case that there's lots to do with projects that you didn't believe in, then that would be hard to, to kind of work on. But I, I genuinely believe in these projects. I think they will make a difference to our region and I'm up for the challenge. So uh, look forward to it all. Thank you, Jonathan, very much for talking to us today. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit more and to hear an update on all of the projects. We'll certainly keep in touch with you. And I know there are opportunities for us all to work together to make City Deal a fantastic success for the region. And uh, we wish you all the best over the next few months in taking it forward. Thanks, Dawn, and thanks for the opportunity as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.